I've uh, recently, by the way, uh, realized that I've made it into professional talking into a microphone headspace after years of attempting to do this. Really? How so? Yeah, I can, I can finally do it without having to have one of my ears uncovered. <laughs> you know when you're like... Get, you start talking into microphones and stuff. You, when you begin, you like to have one ear out just because yep. it sounds more normal that way. It does. I don't need it anymore. Incredible. I don't need that crutch. It's only taken you however, what, five, five years? Five years. <laughs> I, re- I don't know how long I've had just have changed, but I just noticed the change today. It, it, it's it's being able to look back on your, your progress as a, as a podcast over the years to say, you know what? This is where I was. I mean, yeah. This is where I am. Listen to me for like the first three years. I didn't express any emotion. There was no feeling in in my voice. There was no tone. I was just a little robot in the corner. And now look, we're here. And now look at us. With tone and intonation and interest and, you know, maybe even a a tad overexcitement. Often. Very often. Over, I'm over-enthusiastic about hating things now. There are still... <laughs> you say that like it's a bad thing. I, <laughs> there are still times in which I, I go back to some of our earliest episodes. And my goodness, they're Delete so bad. Delete them all. Delete them all. They are terrible. We need to, we need to cover up our history. But... <laughs> Okay, more on that later. There's, it's not just the fact that you and I are substandard, it's also my editing is just, it's just non-existent. It's a bit clunkier, or you just didn't do it? No, clearly, you just sent me your recording, I just put the two together, and despite the fact that there were, you know, four or five second pauses in between what you and I were saying, just left them all in. I mean, I, I still think you should do that, because we really shouldn't no. care very much. No, we shouldn't. No, we shouldn't. It makes it far better a listening experience. But it does make a better product yeah, for the few people who listen, and they are all <laughs> dear to us. Think of it all the effort Colin's putting into removing the awkward silences. It's it, And it's also, you know, not just the awkward silences, it's the half sentences that you or I start before the next person interrupts one another, and I have to delete that part to make it sound natural. I like, I like how you added yourself into the interrupter group when it is 100% me. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, fair enough. I'll, I'll give you that, James. Talking of deleting history, talking of deleting history, I, 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 w- I wish I could do it in my own brain. Well, I mean, me too. Every single time I stop listening to music or podcast or doing work or anything, I just my brain just remembers all the regretful things I have said and done. Oh gosh, that went dark it's, very quickly. It's just dire. My goodness, I wish you could have a little like blacklist button in your brain for dumb memories that you just hate well here's the thing james again jumping the gun long before we've actually welcomed everybody to the show but (laughs) of course if we're getting into this discussion i wish there are there's whole portions of my life i wish i could delete and just be like you know what i don't need to revisit that anytime soon let's just leave that be and we'll just never talk about it that's absolutely fine by me i mean this is running off the assumption that the lessons that you learned from all those bad times don't get forgotten. Well, precisely. You know, there, there, those those times in particular I can think of have shaped me into yeah. who I am now, Who, which is, at last, yeah. somebody who I actually do like. Yeah, we which should is be nice. able to put our bad memories of our past selves into a museum <laughs> that we visit only when we want to remember how we learned the lessons that have made us who we are. Right, and we create a statue of that person and then every so often we just deface it and chuck it in a harbour. Or that—that's the destructive method. I like the museum method more. We we get the uh, the televised sitcom episodes that go in the streaming services in our brain, and we take them down because they include bad language and bad decisions. To be fair, 
there are probably things in the podcast from the past that I would say are worthy of being deleted purely because oh, certainly were so dumb, such bad privileged takes. <sighs> yeah, and that's part of the reason that I was listening to some earlier episodes. I do remember having to censor at least one thing I said about Melissa McCarthy a few years ago, which was cruel and unnecessary. But even that, I'm thinking, right, if, if that's only one thing I can remember from several years ago, I'm sure there are more. To the extent that, yeah. as I've mentioned in, in the past, I've had to delete old tweets from 2010 where I called other people gay because that's offensive. Yeah. And clearly was was just, <laughs> uh, what's the word? Uh, putting myself onto someone else? Um, projecting. Projecting. I was projecting onto other people. So, again, before we actually start the show properly, here's a story. One of the bands I like called The Ghost Inside five years ago had a bus crash in which the bus driver died and all the band members had serious injuries. It's taken them five years through uh, surgeries, a drummer lost his leg, wow. t- like operations, all this stuff, rehab to finally release a-, a new album. And five years after the bus crash, this past Friday, they released an album. Right. On the same day that they released the album, allegations came out about the bassist who five years ago had allegedly called said bus driver the N-word. Oh. And within the space of a day, he'd been fired from the band. And now the band are, are now being criticized for, well, clearly you knew about this and did nothing about it until it was brought to your attention. And it just made me think, is this what our justice has come to? We dig up things that happened that we didn't account for or didn't admit to at the time, hmm. and then several years down the line, of course there are things that I did and said in the past which were completely inappropriate. Yeah. But does that mean that I now live in fear that at some point down the line, if I do something, I don't know, mildly successful or decide to put myself out there a bit more, and then someone says, oh yeah, by the way, in 2009, on the second day of uni, Colin made some really sexist jokes. Right, yeah. Which is a true story. It happened. Yeah, right. But then what? Does, do I get cancelled? Well, hopefully you have disavowed yourself from all those <laughs> bad takes and bad jokes. And that, sh- that should usually be enough. Let me see. I was 17 years old. had spent my entire life in the Highlands. Don't, don't you dare make excuses. Oh, hold on, hold on. 17 years old, <laughs> from the Highlands, was trying to, like, make friends. Macho idea yourself and uh realize very quickly that i offended half the class i mean it's a good way to make friends is like through a process of elimination <laughs> i uh <laughs> alienated myself from uh various people and was it was still a thing several years later i genuinely don't think that at least three three of the the girls in my class still don't like me and that's fine it was my own fault you can apologize to them of course i did you can still you can still be like hey i just want to say like i, I seriously I hate that I did that. That's actually a good point. And I, I made victims of all of you, in a, in a, even in a small or a big way, depending on how you took it. Uh, I think about it all the time. It's just like, loads of people I should I should be apologizing to, but I just don't have the courage just to like send a wee message that says, hey, oh, uh, I remember that I did that. I was real dumb and stupid, but that doesn't excuse it. I'm sorry. That's a very good point. You know, I should, I should do that. Yeah, it's real hard to do. Maybe tomorrow or after I finish this beer and maybe another one. <laughs> Get the courage, get the courage meter filled up. <laughs> get my gra- my grapefruit IPA. I think we talked about a similar thing recently, is that it's really hard to admit that your views are wrong. Yep. It's really hard to admit that you are incorrect. Like, it's really hard to... Like, if you go and accuse someone of doing something dumb, and then they're like, actually, it wasn't dumb, that's even harder to come back from. There's so many things it's real hard to do, and yeah, maybe a couple of beers will help, but we should all, we should all be 
trying to. However, there there are things in which there is no right or wrong. There is an arbitrary, some people say it's this and some people say it's that, which I think yeah, 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 leads yeah, yeah. us on to the start of the show. Hello, everybody. Oh, wow. Hello, everyone. Seesaw Parade, episode 209. I'm Colin, he's James. If anybody here listening to the show uh, can think of anything that they think I should apologize to them for that I haven't, please publicly tweet it to me. Absolutely. And I will try my hardest not to ask you to delete it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, discussing our, our deepest, darkest secrets since 2014, 2015, whatever. When did we start this? I think it was 2015. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah we were really bad people back then. We're, oh, we were. we're doing okay-ish now. We're kind of a bit, a bit better. Oh, absolutely. Night and day. Thank you all very much for listening. Really appreciate it. And thank you to everybody who got in touch as well. I'm going to pick out uh, Emel, actually, who commented saying that my Marvel watch-along had inspired her and uh, and Johnny to do something similar. All right. And hilariously uh, came to an even better conclusion than I did about the film. She said, they just watched Iron Man, where female representation is dire. Two speaking female parts. One of whom is a conquest, the other is a damsel in distress. Yeah. Uh, plus also a sexy flight attendant who is spoken over by two men, to be fair. But clearly, this didn't strike me as dire back in 2008. Yeah. Made me think, what is currently normalised in TV and film that we'll be shocked to look back at? Ooh, yeah. We'll, we'll get to that, we'll get to that. We've got some Little Britain and Faulty Towers chat to get to later on. She's, yeah, uh, that does tie in. Also watched Iron Man 2. Can't fairly comment on the female representation here because I fell asleep after 20 minutes. Ah, uh, yeah, no, but let's, let's, let's assume it wasn't much better. Yeah, she also said that she's psyched for Thor after hearing my review of it. So yeah, you, you do have that to look forward to. <laughs> Wow, yeah. <laughs> okay, James, this this uh, this week's episode, we do have a lot to get through. Fortunately, we're both drinking grapefruit IPAs of different <laughs> brands to get Absolutely. us through. Absolutely. Without even asking each other what we were having. No planning. This is just, I had several to choose from. What's this called? Is like when you have some sort of like link with someone else psychically? A connection. I don't know. We have that. <laughs> okay, anyway, let's, uh, let's make a start. Let's talk about uh, statues and racist people ah yes let's do that two of my favorite things <laughs> james the news headlines in the last week or so have been dominated by anti-racism protesters uh, making yep. their voices heard and tearing statues down from plinths the most right, notable yeah, yeah, yeah. one uh, being the slave trader Edward Colston, yeah. who was pulled down and thrown into Bristol Harbour by protesters on Sunday. Prime Minister Boris Johnson described it as a criminal act, ah. whilst Bristol Mayor Marvin Rees said he felt no sense of loss. I mean, yeah. So there's two opinions for you. I wonder which one of them is probably a racist. Avon Avon and Somerset Police said they decided not to intervene as it would have caused more of an issue. Uh, The statue has since been pulled out of the harbour. It will be uh, dusted down for mud and cleaned up and then I I think either put into a museum or put into an archive, one of the two. Uh, Yeah, yeah. hot take, they shouldn't dust it down at all. They should should coat that with the river mud on it. That's way more iconic. Others have now been torn down across the world. Uh, King Leopold II in Belgium. Oh, yeah, uh, Protesters Belgium, pulled that yeah. one down. He seemed like an absolute horrendous piece of work. I was reading about that. I think they chopped his hands off on the statue first because that was one of his favourite things to do to people who disappointed him. Yes, indeed. There was a, a picture going around this week from the Congo. 19... 
or four or six or something. Yeah, early early twentieth century. Yeah. In which a man is staring at the severed hand and foot of his daughter because he failed yeah. to collect enough rubber for the king. Even that is whitewashed in the story. They then went on to kill the daughter, kill his wife, eat them both, and I believe give him the the remains after that. Well, that's absolutely horrendous. So yeah, statues yeah, were. Yeah pulled down of him uh, there have been several pulled down in the states uh, particularly I mean, columbus got beheaded that was beautiful yes he did indeed columbus got beheaded uh, john p castleman was torn down in kentucky hey, and plenty of states are doing it themselves without even the protesters asking and uh, confederate monuments have yeah. been uh, defaced and removed across the states so james let's let's start with this one do we think that removing statues is a good idea uh, do you think there's any statues of Hitler in public places in Germany? <laughs> uh, I can say no, there are none. Right, so it's almost like statues do actually venerate the people um, that they oh, are. Venerate. I know, right? Big, big, big brains over here. <laughs> big um, brain, James. But, yeah. So it's almost like they do venerate the people that they are making an icon of if they are in a public space. But if they're putting like a museum with an info sheet attached that says all the bad things they did as well as maybe the good things they did that it's less veneration and more information preserving right so i would suggest that taking statues down of people who are known for the bad things they did even if they also did a bunch of philanthropic stuff is probably the right move move them into museum move them into an archive we've still got all the info we need we still have those lessons learned and we can go and see why we learned the lessons in the appropriate place yeah before before we talk about churchill because he seems to be the latest target yeah people like edward colston for me is a no-brainer yeah that one's the easy. man was a slave trader mm-hmm. Eighty-four thousand people basically stolen from africa and sent overseas to a foreign land to work in right, uh, yeah. plantations Nineteen thousand of them died and whilst that made him very rich and he did nice things for Bristol, that does not yeah. weigh up on the balance of, oh, yeah, but look, he gave all the money. Oh, he, was, he was great. Yeah. But he also enslaved people. It didn't even do it for him. It didn't even do it for him. There is absolutely and no chance that he did those things out of any place other than trying to make up for the bad things he knew he was doing. Yep. It, he knew that what he was doing to make money was wrong and therefore he tried to give out to get this public perception and to get this forgiveness from above, from above, he tried to do charity to make up for the bad deeds. That is not how it works. Um, and you see this quite a lot with um, people who knew what they were doing were wrong. They, they tried to minimize the, the bad stuff and highlight themselves by doing good stuff with some of the money that they made. Uh, it doesn't, doesn't undo the bad. Okay, so let's move on to the, the ones which are more contentious shall we say they're having some debate spark so liverpool university said they were considering renaming their gladstone hall which i believe is named after someone who was in a similar position i'm unsure what the connection is there but that's been faced with some sort of backlash gladstone was anti-abolitionist i believe and in a position of right. power. Okay, I thought that was his father. Oh yeah, no, was it his father? So, so that's that's yeah, that's why I believe that one's controversial because I believe it's 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 his father who was probably it was somebody's father who did bad things. The other one is, as Boris Johnson has has said today, Friday, saying it's absurd and shameful that a statue of Winston Churchill's had to be boarded up because of fears it could also be vandalized because he was a hero of World War Two. Right. So Boris Johnson has said that. Whilst he expressed opinions which were unacceptable to us today, right. he also was a hero 
for saving the country from fascist and racist tyranny. He also caused a massive famine in India that starved a whole bunch of people to death. So Right, so here's here's my issue with it then, because that, to me, is beyond the pale. You know, he that is that is a factual thing that happened under his he did it. leadership. He actively he actively diverted food to the British military and yeah, war effort and whatnot. But he caused the deaths of all those people who he who he saw and expressed that he thought were subhuman. It, well, it, exactly. So the fact that Boris Johnson saying, "Oh, he had some views which are unacceptable today." He also had some actions that are unacceptable today. He wasn't a good man. He was so conservative and so backwards in his thinking that the conservatives of the day thought he was too conservative. So where's the balance then? Because well, yeah. whilst Winston Churchill was the British Prime Minister who led us through World War II, he was also a racist and also inadvertently killed people. Yeah, put him in a museum, for sure. Um, I don't I don't think that anybody is saying that we need to have statues of Stalin because he won the war. Because he did bad stuff, so why does why does Churchill's bad stuff get swept under the rug? When yeah, other people who were on the right side of a war aren't getting their bad stuff swept under the rug. Bringing it closer to home, there have also been calls to rename parts of Glasgow streets, yeah, including yeah. Buchanan Street, Glassford Street, and the Merchant City, which was named after the tobacco merchants who, funnily enough made their fortune from the tobacco plantations in the Caribbean. Yeah. And these streets are named after said merchants. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so there have been some protesters and uh, some signs which have gone up to replace the street names, you know, little black plaques underneath uh, the real street names. So now that's being considered, but people are saying that's a step too far. What I would say to that is Stalingrad used to be the name of a city in Russia. And <laughs> yeah. so did Leningrad. Yeah. It then, be, it then became renamed to St. Petersburg. Renaming things because the people that are they're named after were awful isn't too far. Like, even if having a street named after you isn't quite as iconic as having a statue made, some would say, because it doesn't have a plaque and it doesn't tell everybody who you are. It, renaming things is, is teeny tiny. It's meaningless. If you think the street isn't significant enough to demand renaming it, then why do you care enough to care about it being renamed? Do you think then that when Boris Johnson says taking away statues is to lie about our history, is he correct? He is wrong. Wow. Like, again, we just hearken to other countries who have already done this. Um, Spain has elected to do it. And even if they're not doing it well, they've elected to get rid of fascist monuments. Italy's doing similar things. And even if these places aren't doing it very well, and even if they're doing it slowly... They're saying it needs to be done. Germany, of course, do not have statues out in public, like venerating the Nazi cause. Yeah. Um, but they do have museums dedicated to remembering what happened and informing everybody as to what happened. And the UK, being as old and as evil as it has been for centuries, has a lot of things that are definitely worth remembering. But having statues in public places does not remember things any better than having them in a museum. Having them in a museum, or two museums, or all the museums, remembers things far better because it remembers them with an entire context of why they're worth remembering and all the lessons that we've learned from it. Whereas a statue can just be like, "This, this guy did a bunch of good stuff, and it will never mention all the bad stuff. Before we wrap up on this and move on, this is where we get to the the statues where... They're, they're clearly for someone very good. For example, Mahatma Gandhi 
in Leicester. There is a... Well, hold on. Here we go. So there is now a petition for him to come down because he was purportedly anti-black. Yeah. Yeah, we've been but racist, also, a wee bit creepy. Right, so 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 what's the line then? Oh, that's the point, is that there there probably shouldn't be a line that is decided by Twitter <laughs> or decided by like a bunch of people that just like a mass at them at the statue itself. And um, but instead we should have commissions as to like what are the what are the what are the standards for what is acceptable to remain and what statues meet those standards. But if the standards are that said person has to have had a perfect life with no problematic views or anything bad they've ever said, there would be no statues at all. Let's say I suddenly saved the world from World War Three, right? Like in some parallel universe where I go on to become a, I don't know, a, a president or a prime minister or something. Yeah. If there were statues to me, it just, like, they wouldn't even go up. Or rather, no. someone would find something I said 10 years ago and would say, actually, no, this statue yeah. has to come down. I, I don't... So if that's the standard for little old me, what about the people... At the, at the very, very top. Yeah, I, I don't expect the standards are going to be set to that. Like, I think, I think the setting up a commission or setting up some investigations into these things is a smart thing to do and then um, have them make their decisions over time rather than making their decisions uh, at the drop of a pin in the middle of the big debate. Sure, just like word them up for now to keep them preserved in case we are putting them in a museum. And then come to some conclusions as to what was and what wasn't uh, a view that was, you know, within the context of the times, not really outlandishly awful. And we can add the context to the, like the plaque or add a new plaque to say, hey, here's another thing that happened. Um, I don't think any of us um, can claim to be experts in all these people. I think asking the experts to decide whether a statue is worthy of uh, a public place or a, a place of like veneration yeah a place of veneration is <laughs> worth it or if they need to be moved somewhere a bit more private and a bit more right uh, respectful of like where you have to go to actively look to find out the information uh yeah um and there have been like a lot of questionable ones wherein like we're looking at the statue of peel and um, being slated for removal because the dude invented the police. Right. But what he invented was policing by consent. He didn't invent totalitarian police. The The concept of crime being uh, investigated doesn't seem worthy of like a statue being removed from me. Um, so I, I, I don't know. There's a lot, there's a lot of statues and people from historical periods that will be in this like gray area where they did do some things that were bad um, by today's standards, but it's hard to judge them for it. Okay, well, talking of things which are problematic and being removed, let's talk about Little Britain. Now, yeah, let's lie about that history too. So this is the news that Little Britain has been removed from the iPlayer, from Netflix, and from BritBox yeah. as objections resurface to some of the sketch show's characters. So the series, along with yeah. uh, Come Fly With Me, which starred Matt Lucas and David Williams, who in various sketches were playing blackface, were dressing up as Japanese schoolgirls, were playing Asian businessmen called Ting Tong. Yeah. My first question is, Come Fly With Me aired in 2010. Yeah, I was <laughs> well, surprised. How, how on earth did this, like... Even get commissioned? Well, we've moved on a lot as a general society in 
apparently 10 years. T- 10 years, man. It's mind-blowing looking back, barely, like, within my living memory and seeing some of the things that used to be accepted as like, oh, yeah. something that could be aired to the entire nation and that they didn't think would make people feel belittled or make people feel like they aren't welcome and make people feel like they are out of place in this country. Right. So the BBC said that times have changed since Little Britain first aired, so it is not currently available. Other shows which were removed were The Mighty Bush and League of Gentlemen, both for blackface. And also in the last few hours, UK TV have confirmed they've they've removed the episode The Germans from Faulty Towers. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Because of usage of the N-word and also uh, an Asian slur used by one of the older characters. Yeah. James... John Cleese has, re- has reacted to this saying it's absolutely mad or it's a, a terrible decision. Yeah. The decision hasn't actually been made yet, just to just to say. Oh, yes. Yeah, sorry. It's under review, but I, I suspect that means it's gone. It's, it's temporarily gone anyway. Yeah. To me, and this is what John Cleese said, he said the whole show in that particular episode was satirical and, so, and showing yeah. the xenophobic side of Brits. Yeah. Which is an, entirely the purpose of that episode. The whole don't mention the war thing. Yeah. So let's start with with that, and then we'll talk about Little Britain. Yeah. Um, no, I I agree completely. Like, I, I, it's it's pretty simple to say that there's a huge distinction between um, a joke that is making fun of the abhorrent thing and a joke that is the abhorrent thing. Correct. So there's if you're making fun of racists for having tiny little brains, you're fine. You can say that all you want. If you're doing it by satirizing them, which we've seen someone do, an American lad did it. He was um, making a satirical video about uh, the NASCAR thing that's going on over there. Yep. It was really believable. I kind of took a little while to click. Those kinds of satirizing to make the people who have these views look like idiots is completely completely fine. I, I would be surprised if the decision is actually to remove it um, based off the content. Right. So, so, so let me just ask then. Let me just ask then. Why would they even be, you know, reviewing it and temporarily temporarily removing yeah. it in the first yeah. place? Uh, just to look good. There's a lot of people suggesting that this is just outrage culture that's causing all of this. That there's a bunch of people on Twitter saying, "Hey, this show is problematic. Hey, that show is problematic." I have not seen anybody actually doing that. Um, it's just a whole bunch of institutions and organizations that are trying to preemptively uh, take actions that'll make them look good. Okay. Um, just in case the mob comes for them. So, um, on that note, then Little Britain, in particular, right. and come fly with me, and it's it's blackface and it's depictions of ethnic minorities. I'll, I'll go further. Uh, even if Little Britain does not ha- did not have anything like racist in it that wasn't taking advantage of stereotypes that British people. Um, saw of other races in a non-satirical way, but more of a way to stamp down on those people. Their depiction of uh, the disabled um, faker, yep. Andy, is bad enough for it to be removed now. That 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 idea that people that are on benefits are all liars and cheats and violent and that, and all the things that, that they displayed, even if it was done as a joke, it was done as a joke at the cost off those people rather than as a satirical pointing out of yeah i agree with why that, yeah. do British people believe this so even without the blackface and even without the racism problems it is already bad enough because it completely um uproots the rights of disabled people um to not be mocked 
So my question then is, and we've discussed this before, where's the line of what's funny, what's acceptable in yeah. purported yeah. comedy shows? Because to me, to me, it's clear that we're unable to be the arbiters of, okay, you can joke about that. You can joke about Madeleine McCann, yeah. but you can't joke about black people. Right. Or, no, you, you can joke about, you know, gays, but you, you can't joke about trans people. You know, where is the line? Because either everything is off the table or everything's on it. It's right. one of the two. You can't just say, okay, you're allowed to joke about that, but you can't joke about that. Yeah. Um, and that, by the by the way, that is no defense of Little Britain. The show is terrible and blackface should have been no, yeah, confined like, to the previous century. Yeah, I, I remember like watching it and when it came out and not being as shocked as I am now. Like it was just off the time. And right. yeah, we've moved on. And that doesn't make it okay. Like it like if you if you still think, hey, that show is great and I really like it and I want to watch it loads and why can't I watch it loads? Go and buy it. You know what? You don't have to have it on your streaming services. You can buy it if you think it's that important to you. And um, but the line the line has to be uh who the butt of the joke is. If your joke is a malicious targeting of a protected group or anybody else who you might see as below you in society and it, and it has the potential of like making them feel like outcasts or anything if your joke is maliciously targeting somebody that is in any of those groups it's probably unacceptable whereas if your joke is targeting people who would target those groups it's acceptable so it's the difference between like uh, as you were saying earlier on the satire of making fun of the racists and rather than just being a racist you can make a racist joke and it's unacceptable uh, you can make a joke that completely like re- removes the cover and removes the shade from a racist and it makes it acceptable. And it's really hard to do. I'm not saying it's easy to do that. I think making jokes is super difficult. It's out, it's outside of the skill set of most people to do the jokes along these lines. Even the even really brilliant comedians sometimes fail at this hurdle. Um so, so just don't make any at all if you want to be careful. But if you, if you do want to make risky jokes, just like trying to figure out who you're targeting. Right. On, on that note, just as we wrap up this section and move on, to, to demonstrate this point, there is a, a line that we, or advice we often give in our Pink Elephant presentation skill sessions, which is the <laughs> right. only type of, now that's my plug, uh, the only type of humor that you can ever use when you're giving a, a you know a presentation or a speech is self-deprecating humor when you are the person who is yeah, yeah, yeah. essentially okay. or you are or your people you know Scots or, or Brits when you are the the target audience you're yeah. making fun of yourselves yeah. and a, and an excellent demonstration of this is the film from last year by Boots Riley which is called Sorry to Bother You if you if you've never seen it it's well worth watching and it's the story of Lakeith Stanfield who's a black man phenomenal actor mm-hmm. who is attempting to to work his way up essentially this white person's call center and and the way he does that yeah. is by putting on his white man voice yeah and then he's there, there's one scene in particular in which he's trying to impress a group of white people at a party and he's failing miserably and so instead he just starts essentially uh rapping the the n-word repeatedly right <laughs> and people start and people start loving it because you know it's we're white and it's yeah. and it's and that to me is is a is a perfect microcosm of how that sort of humor can work. Absolutely, of how yeah, it yeah. should be used, yeah. as opposed to uh, we're white people and we're gonna and we're gonna punch down on other people or the races. I didn't really cover that. In group jokes are obviously going to be 
difficult as well, but still acceptable. They're still hard to pull off because you might just alienate yourself from your own group if you if you do it wrong. Um, but it's far more acceptable to be making fun of the group you're in than to be um, trying to attack a group that you're not in. Precisely. Who you perceive as weaker than you, worse than you, like inhuman or whatever else. One of the examples that I remember that I was shocked because it's a clever guy was Dave Chappelle, his take on all of this. Yeah. Because uh, he was saying he used to use the the F word to describe uh, gays back in the day. Right. And he was saying that it's fine. It's fine to do that. Um, uh, so somebody said, well, how come we can't use the M word to describe you as he is a black man? Uh, and his take is that they said, you can't use it because you're not gay. Um, and then he said, well, I'm not a, I'm not an N-word either. But that's, that's, that's not fair. <sighs> no. that, that's, the op- that's like a false equivalence. That's a cop-out. They're saying you can't make fun of the group that you're not in. And he's going, I'm not in the der- derogatory version of the group that I'm not in. Yeah, you're not. But you are in the group that people use that term to describe. I'll see, and that's that's the other thing is that's disappointing because I really I do like Dave Chappelle and the stuff he's he's it, done. He had a he had a bit, he had a few dodgy jokes in that one take, but he's yeah. in general very very clever, very very smart comedian. But him not apologizing for using derogatory terms that are clearly unacceptable, um, and then having this like fake equivalence of an excuse was not smart. And um, but that's one of the versions i remember of people not quite getting the difference here but it's like if you want to use a derogatory term about the group you're in sure go ahead i think you probably shouldn't because i think it just makes other people feel like they can use it too and that's that's not smart i feel like there are contexts where wherein taking the strength away from words is important but i don't think society is there for most of these terms at all um but if you want to try and pretend that you can use any derogatory term you want because you don't see yourself uh, as a member of the derogatory version of the group that you are in, you're wrong. Just like get the highlights for that one. That was a big long discussion. <laughs> but but a, a worthy discussion. A worthy discussion. Sorry, everybody. If you want okay. the full full length version, uh, ask us in person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have to wait a few weeks yet. <laughs> That segues us beautifully on to uh, coronavirus and the, and the latest with the pandemic. Now, in, in grimmer news, the global total for COVID-19 deaths has now surpassed 400,000. That's the official figure, but scientists and researchers believe it is much higher than that. More than a quarter of fatalities have occurred in the US, where over 110,000 who tested positive for the virus have since died. Uh, The UK total, as we mentioned last week, is at 40,000. In Scotland, it's coming up to 2,500. And the phases and phase one, phase two should be happening this time next week, which means that outdoor bars and restaurants with outdoor seating sections can begin to reopen. But with James, social distancing measures in place. Uh, precisely. But James, there are still warning signs that we're not out of this yet. Yeah. I mean, even internally. Well, yeah. Okay. So, so you've put a, a link here to some graphs. Now, Scary just graphs. see if you can talk through our listeners who are without the benefit of a graph, what this is actually showing. Right. Yeah. So the graph, which if you want to find it, it's on Irish data viz, the Twitter. I'm sure you could scroll down and find it. It, it graphs for us, all the different countries in the world. Um, it like reported coronavirus numbers. Yeah. 
um, showing us a color difference between low and high points. So we can see countries that have passed their peak a fair while ago. We're talking about February, March, and then countries that are not even past their peak or potentially haven't even reached their peak. And like, as far as I can tell, half the world hasn't reached their peaks yet for coronavirus cases. That's what struck me. But it's also a question of what countries are these? Because the biggest well, one ones... of them is Russia. <laughs> well, exactly. The biggest one of them is India. <laughs> is Russia and India, which are the ones that I was seeing and thinking, well, that is, if that hits similar yeah, yeah. levels if, to say the States, yeah. is going to be yeah. massive in terms of its fatality numbers. So, yeah. So we're seeing, we're seeing the numbers not even plateauing, but still on the rise in some huge countries. Like we always said, Russia, India, Brazil hasn't reached it. We're looking at the United States. They've, they've hit a plateau rather than a peak and they haven't really turned down and now they're potentially going back up again. So this is huge population centers that are really going to keep this virus just alive. And whether it's through incompetence of our leadership or just a bunch of bad luck, I think we all know. Um, But it is scary to see the graph showing us that globally, this is still a massive problem, even if some places internally, the likes of New Zealand, the likes of Vietnam, are looking very green. Here's my question then. Do we, as Scots, as Brits, as things are moving in the right direction, for example, Nicola Sturgeon uh, yesterday saying that the R number in Scotland is between 0.6 and 0.8, which is lower than the week before, Yeah, things are all moving in the right direction, things are, are looking rosy. Does that mean coronavirus disappears from the headlines? Uh, hopefully not, because the more it disappears from the headlines, the more careless everybody gets and the quicker that our rate of infection goes right back up. Yeah. Looking at the UK wide, We've already seen the results of some of the lockdown easing, like leading to the rate of infection going above one in some regions of England, which is scary. Northeast of England? Mainly because they were still at a worse place than the average when Boris made all his decisions, and therefore they've suffered the worst having had those decisions made for them. Yeah, there have been states in America who are now seeing another rise after reopening. Yeah, and there's countries the likes of Iran who are seeing a second peak because their reopening was too too quick, too soon. Uh, they never really had a proper lockdown in place. Uh, and, well, there's all sorts of countries that are having um, second peaks. So to avoid it, we can't start to be relaxed now. Um, and I would say even Nicola, even though she's been more direct than Boris has, even though she's been more honest and truthful than Boris has, she's still being a bit too relaxed about it all. Uh, her tone comes across as one of like, hey, we're safe to make our own decisions here. <sighs> kind of do what you want. Well, kind of make no, your own judgments. See, I disagree there. I, I, I do believe that she has been treading the right path at, well, for for the majority of times. I am being judgmental. I don't believe for a single second that she would at any case want or at any point say, you know what? Nah, it's fine. Just just use your own judgment. I, I do believe she's been better on that than Boris. No, no. She, she's not being... She's not being that lazy. I, I, I sorry if I, if I, if I was implying that she is just giving up entirely on trying to control the, the number. Um, but as far as communication goes, Scotland is way ahead of um, Boris and co, especially since we haven't just kept firing people who won't agree with Dominic Cummings. <laughs> well, more on that in a minute. <laughs> more on that in a minute. Um, but even here, where the uh, R, where the R number is so close to one. Uh, we can't really start easing off too quick. As much as everybody would love to, as much as I'm sure the summer sun is making us all really keen to just go and sit on the sit on the park, 
we have to learn lessons from other countries yet again. Like we had to, before this all started here, we've again got like a couple of weeks maybe from some countries that have hit their second peaks or are, are suffering for their second peaks. We can look to them and say, hey, what lessons can we learn from them? Okay. Let's not do that. Well, if you've been watching the Downing Street daily briefings, you will have noticed the absence of Chief Nurse Ruth yeah. May. Yet another public servant is just not there anymore. Who used to be a, a familiar face on these briefings, but has not been seen since the Dominic Cummings scandal after she refused to publicly back him and uh, his decisions, which we covered. Yeah, or so sources say. Right. Or so, so sources do say. Right to us. We are the, we are the people that get the the public ear. So she was due to appear alongside uh, Health Secretary Hat Mancock in the press conference, uh, but in practice questions, it still makes me laugh, but in practice but hours... Are we going uh, to think that calling someone Hat Mancock is going to be unacceptable in 10 years? Are we going to have to delete this episode, Colin, I think I think because time? we have offended anyone who's who's got that surname, or precisely Matt Hancock, probably yes. So, yeah. Because we spoonerized his name. Yeah. Spoonerized or, spoonerisms are no longer funny in 2030. Okay. <laughs> But in practice, uh, hours before the briefing, Ruth May was asked about Mr. Cummings and she failed to give support to the chief advisor and she was dropped. Such a cult. The current, the current cabinet and, and leadership is just such a cult. It's embarrassing. I feel pain when I think about it. Sorry, I, I was taking my hoodie off and I <sighs> missed the last bit. Okay. You anyway. thought the rant was going to be longer than that, didn't I you? I did, I did. <laughs> it was short and painful. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right, so let's move on. Uh, James, more incompetence from the government because their quarantine measures have begun in UK airports and people are still not being temperature checked at all. Yeah, I mean, there's the argument that like temperature checks don't have to be actually known to the person who's being checked. You can check from a small distance with infrared. Right. But it's just the fact that the, the they've got all these things that it's just like hey if you come into the UK you you have to self isolate for for two weeks and they you haven't actually that. bothered to confirm that people have the plan to do that but you, but you also can't police that it's totally impossible to do but that they could at least check what the planned address is be like hey where are you going to stay <laughs> oh okay whereas people are coming in just doing whatever they want and like they could be checking how are you going to get there without public transport you know and if they don't have a plan for that they can try and work to find a plan but there's 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 just no guarantees um or no even attempts to guarantee that people are trying to abide by the right. um by the regulations so the the incompetence is the fact that they've just put out another rule but it's another token gesture that they have absolutely no intention to try and enforce uh, as a result of lockdown the british economy has shrunk by 20 percent in Strong, the stable. last month so the bank of england have said that they will be ready to take action to help the economy whether the coronavirus crisis uh, it is a 20.4 percent shrink that was in April. That's the, the biggest monthly contraction on record. Yeah, no, it's a pretty big one. We were talking about like back in the back in the depression that we all remember um from not that long ago. It was like minus a, a percent or two. Oh yeah, it was it was it was down, row. but so minus twenty is a lot more than a percent or two, even if you add that all all of them up. But again, it's not surprising. We're a services based economy. And when coronavirus hit all of a sudden, everybody got fired. And by everybody, I mean quite a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, and the government did do this furlough scheme, but they haven't really supported it very well. So a lot of 
a lot of applications are still being processed, so not a lot of people have any pay at all. So all of the people in the whole of the country, and again, I mean just some of them, but I'm exaggerating, don't have as much money to spend. And because our economy is fake and it relies on fake numbers, the fact that we've not been able to use our expendable income has tanked the economy. Yeah. Because we do not have any production. All we have is swapping money amongst different places and counting swapping of money as <laughs> GDP. Like if I gave you a tenner and then you gave it back, that gets counted as 20 pounds towards the GDP. Nice. Doing our bit. So, so let's do that. Everybody, prop up the economy, invoice each other and just return it and pay your taxes on it. And the economy will be fine again. Okay. It's just, oh, no, all this is doing is just hopefully teaching us a lesson that the the economy of the UK is pretend and we need to have one that has more of a backbone. Um, that, that's just, but that's not realistic. Yeah. At the same time, don't worry about the 20% because again, our economy is pretend. So as soon as we all have the money to spend again, we'll spend it again and it will be back to normal-ish if yeah. the government hasn't sacrificed a whole bunch of high street shops by withholding their aid for too long. James' time is ticking down, so we're going to have to race through these. Let's move over to the States, where Donald Trump is facing yet more criticism, if he could get any more, for choosing to hold his very first election rally during the coronavirus pandemic in Tulsa, Oklahoma, on the day of the anniversary of the end of slavery. And also, yeah. Tulsa being the site of one of the worst race massacres in U.S. history back in 1921, where 300 black people were killed uh, in the city, which at that point had a street which was known as Black Wall Street. James, this, to me, is a very intentional choice by the president. Yeah, I'm going to say it was a deliberate call by either him (laughs) or somebody in his group that has a brain. Yeah. Because I doubt he's got much of a one anymore himself. Um, It just... Too many coincidences are lined up in that that whole thing. He's going to the city of a massacre um, of wealthier people within the black community yep. on the anniversary of the abolition of slavery. Like, there's no way it's an accident. There's a lot of cities in America, more than like five, more than like six. There's a, there's a lot. It's hard to pick the exact wrong place on the exact wrong day for the president who is currently... Um, sitting through uh, a crisis that is related to race. And there's no way it's not just trying to get points of his racist supporters. And maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're going to prove us wrong. And I don't know how, though. It's just a bit unbelievable. In other Trump news this week, the top general in the States have, has said that he was wrong to appear with the president in the Bible photo op near the White House last week. Ah, uh, this was, was General Mark Milley, who's the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, who said, I should not have been there. My presence in that moment and in that environment created a perception of military involvement in domestic politics. I never thought I'd see the day where we'd actually have this situation where the most senior military general in the US is having to make sure that his involvement with the president is not seen as some sort of army getting involved with politics at the highest level. Like, that, to me, blows my mind. Yeah, and we've got former generals disavowing the leadership and calling him traitors and stuff. Yep. The situation just explodes more and more uh, day after day. I mean, but yeah. I'm still I'm still convinced Trump's getting re-elected, by the way. Uh, like, no, I, I wouldn't surprise me at this at this point. 
Especially considering the opposition is brain dead. <laughs> but again, just to remind you, people hated Hillary. They don't hate Biden. Yeah. So maybe there's a chance because they don't hate him, even though he's pretty bad. They don't hate him. Um, but yeah, armies and stuff, they're supposed to be apolitical. We had the same issue here with the police. We've had the same issue here with armies and things. Yeah. Um, do not get attached to any statements and any things like that. So yeah, he's right. He also shouldn't have been there just because it was disgusting and he's a person and therefore don't do disgusting things. But you know, also talking of that's that's another point. Talking of uh, sleepwalking into disaster, the US and UK trade deal over food standards is continuing to go. The lie is expanding. This was six months ago, as we touched on last week, where Boris Johnson says that the UK food standards was absolutely not on the table. And it's the same way that the NHS was not on the table. Yeah, the NHS is not on the, not on the table. Food standards not on the, not on the table. <laughs> However, just half a year later, it seems that chlorinated oh, chicken and ractopamine pork, which is illegal yeah. in the likes of China and the EU. Almost everywhere. <laughs> yep, basically everywhere except the States, as well as milk, which has twice the level of pus that it does in the UK, is all oh, going to yeah. be flooding in because the Americans want a piece of our money. Yeah, they want us to buy their stuff so they can make their stuff even cheaper for themselves exactly but also that the uk government clearly wants a deal with the states and they will not take a deal that does not involve some sort of food standards relaxation yeah basically all of boris's promises required him to have you know any sort of a backbone to have any sort of bravery in the right. face of confrontation uh, but they didn't so now we're gonna all be having to try and figure out where, where our part came from because of course the trade deal is also going to say you must remove all place of origin tags from your meat products and from any products that we trade with so people right. can't choose so this is the, the the news that i was seeing this week which is that the u.s would like that yeah where where's this meat come from sticker taken away so yeah. you can't tell where it's from. Yeah. So not only do they want to give us subpar <laughs> stuff, they want us to not really know whether or not it is so they can trick us into buying their stuff. I can't believe for a second that that will actually happen. Yeah, but it's it's the Tories and it's the Boris. <laughs> like, tell you one thing they haven't lied about yet. I, I was trying to think of something, but I'm struggling. Everything I can think of is recent enough that they just haven't lied yet. So like the Hong Kong thing and stuff like that. But as far as all the EU stuff, that all has turned out to be lies. Trade deal with America, that's all turning out to be lies. Oh yeah, they, they said uh, that actually they're not going to be checking EU imports. Yeah, EU goods are now not going to be getting checked. <laughs> yep. Even though that only gives the EU an advantage and doesn't help us at all, really. Um, it turns out that giving power to the fisheries, that's so far a lie. They're failing on that front. Uh, they've They've just turned over uh, and decided to destroy the farming industry with all these U.S. talks. I don't really know who they're protecting at this point. Um, but they do like to erase history. They're, they're still hiding all kinds of reports uh, into the shady stuff they do themselves. Uh, the housing deals, you know, uh, with domestics and with foreign um, built um, associations. Uh, they're still hiding the Russian report. They are, uh, yeah. I expect any reports and investigations into COVID will be hidden from public view forever. Uh, nothing. There's nothing that is more synonymous uh, with the current the, the current people in power than just trying their very hardest to not be held accountable for their own mistakes. Just talking of things which are still ongoing and unraveling situations, we did have J.K. Rowling on the agenda for today. 
but that is still very much happening as of Friday afternoon yeah, and because has of loads the, to it. Oh yeah, the Sun newspaper has, has decided to to get involved by publishing uh, an alleged abuser on their front page this morning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've, we've, so yeah, we've, we'll, we'll we'll return we'll return to that at some point. We've vis- we've visited JK's somewhat discriminatory slash very discriminatory views before, and I'm sure we will when this story develops more. But yeah, we we are. We've talked for a long time. We have, yes. We're approaching the hour mark again. James, uh, let's just talk about the PS5. There was a launch this week, seven years after the PS4 came out. Uh, Have you seen the the console itself? What it looks like? Yeah, it looks weird. People are comparing it to a Wi-Fi router. It does. It looks like an overpriced router. <laughs> well, so here's it looks the like thing. the kind of router that people try and trick your grands into buying. <laughs> okay, so this uh, overpriced router actually has yet to have a price on it. It does look yeah, very swish, though. most of the specs. Specs, uh, release date, the, uh, yeah, as you say, the price tag, all yet to be yeah. kept or, yeah. or put out yeah. to we the public. We know it is black and white, which is really racially inclusive. Well done, Sony. It has a blue light. So, you know, blue blue lights matter. Blue. Oh, no. Don't even say it. <laughs> I said lights. Uh, there I is said a lights. dog whistle. Oh, blue lights matter. I did say lights. Come on. Oh, man. No, that's stupid. Oh, man. No, my joke was risky enough. Don't add to the risk. <laughs> They've also said that uh, if you buy a PS5... Man, corporations and their token gestures. I wouldn't surprise you <laughs> if that's why they decided to do it. Uh, also with this announcement, they said that if you pre-order the PS5, you'll get a GTA 5 for free. I mean, it, which, it was free on the Epic Store like a week ago. Yeah, it's, well, the game's been out for years. So what's the, the game's been out, I think, for like seven years, maybe longer. I'm pretty sure the GTA 5 was like the big heralded game that came out with the PS4. So I don't yeah. understand this at all. I think they've taken longer to get to number six than they did to, to get from one to five. Yeah, and also the fact that GTA, it says GTA 5, but GTA have put out, I think, nine games in total. Just some of them. True, true. They do Gaming and naming systems, you know, Battlefield 1, 2, 3, and then 1942. What about the other 1,938 games? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. It's still embarrassing from Rockstar, though, that they are still putting out the same same GTA as the the new release for the console. Like, GTA 5 is a fun game, but it's seven years old. Come on. Give us something new. Anyway, as part of the launch, Anywho, yeah. as part of the launch, they did have uh, they did have some new games. Ratchet and Clank. Yeah, some of them looked great. Yeah, new Spider Man. There are some absolutely adorable games in the in the movie. There's one where you can play a delivery cat. There's there's like some <laughs> robot. There's just some robot that they've clearly chosen to be their their mascot. That was cute. There's a new Ratchet and Clank game that that deals with dimensions and stuff. That's mind blowing. I, th- I thought you said dementia uh, there, but. Dimension sounds Dimension and stuff. No, Dimensions. Dementia game will be like Biden. <laughs> okay. okay, James, have you been uh, watching anything this week? I have finished one anime. Hey, one anime. Well, let's hear that first, and then I'm going right. to rattle through rattle the three things that I've got. The anime I watched is called Akagi. Akagi? It is, yeah, it is about underground competitive Mahjong. What is Mahjong? It's a tabletop game that you will have seen on some computers. Okay. And then not played because you don't understand the rules. But I'll tell you what, if you watch the show, you will learn a lot of the rules. Right. Uh, I think I could actually play it after watching the show, which makes the show worthwhile all on its own. So it's following the story of uh, a guy who finds out, who discovers that he's real good at playing the game and takes over, or like steps into the underworld. Okay. Um, He's fighting, he's, he's like playing against the mob, basically. Um, and he's just a savant 
and he's incredible at the game and it's 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 amazing right um but basically in the whole show there are zero stakes <laughs> because every time we meet a character the narrator who says a lot of things because i i do like a show for narrator sometimes uh he tells us basically what's going to happen ah like the way they describe the episode is like hey what's going to happen at the end of the story arc and there's no stakes but it's really enjoyable anyway because you spend the whole time trying to figure out like how they're going to play the game interesting to get to the point that you know they're going to get to so okay. you're trying to figure out oh, how do they get out of this tricky situation because i know that they're going to get out of this tricky situation how does this character do this and that it's, like even though there are no stakes it's still very enjoyable uh i would encourage everybody to look at the art style for Akagi, that's A-K-A-G-I, I believe, unless I've spelled it incorrectly, um, because it is very unique, I'll say. It took a bit of getting used to. Okay. It, it wasn't similar to any other show that I've seen in terms of the way they've designed the characters, but super iconic once you're into it. Fair enough. The The other point I would make about the show, well, in terms of character, the show kind of deals with side characters a bit weirdly. They kind of float in and out. And you're not quite sure who's going to be in each arc. And that's very good, aside from Akagi, because he's the titular character. Two final points, actually. One, the music <laughs> is ahead of its time. Right. This show was made in 2005. And some of the parts of the soundtrack are doing things that people started to say were revolutionary like two years ago. It's got some lo-fi in there. In terms of music or... In terms of music, it's just got some themes and genres and mashups that people didn't really... Like, I didn't encounter myself until a couple of years ago or five years ago. But this is this is from 15 years ago. Wow. Um, the music was amazing, just in general. Um, and this is one thing you like I often see in, in anime is that they hit the music, uh, the music game ahead of the rest of us by quite a bit. And then eventually our artists catch up and start making things that sound similar to what anime soundtracks did. So I don't know what <laughs> they're they're employing or who they're employing to do anime soundtracks, but they're ahead of the game. Okay. Uh, the final thing is that the anime didn't finish the story. And that's really frustrating. What? What do you mean? It's one of those shows that got through a season and either didn't get the funding or just oh, got cancelled for whatever the reason. And you're left right in the middle of a story arc. So... Ah. Probably not worth watching unless you just really like anime. Um, <laughs> but overall, a real good show. I liked it a lot. Right, James, I'm going to rattle through what I've been spending my time doing. I've got two films and a book. What do you want to hear first? One film, and then a book, and then a film. Okay, I'm going to start with my Marvel watch-along for this week, which is The Incredible Hulk, which, incredibly, I've never actually seen before. Oh, really? It is. It is one of the three... Uh, films that is actually not on Disney Plus because this is when Marvel still had uh, a deal with Universal Pictures. So I found it on, on Now TV. Oh, yeah. Let me just uh, run you through some of the facts to start with. This is Edward Norton as Mr. Hulk. Yeah, the wrong Hulk. As opposed to uh, Mark Ruffalo. He also wrote part of this. I didn't know that. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, clever, William yeah. Hurt, Liv Tyler, who you would recognize from Lord of the Rings. Uh, Tim Roth as the classic British villain who, for some reason, is working with the Americans. Course, yeah. I don't know why. It's not really explained, but it's fine. I want to blame somebody else for America being evil. Okay, very quickly. CGI Hulk uh, looks a bit ropey. He has more hair than future Hulks do. Yeah. It is a, it's a darker, un-Marvel Marvel film. For example... It yeah, it feels different. There is no daft Marvel humour at all. There's not a single... 
even vague attempt at some sort of quippy quip or any of that kind of stuff. There is one yeah. obvious attempt at a joke, which is in the opening five minutes in which uh, Edward Norton's Hulk, Bruce Banner, f- is failing to to get his Portuguese correct. And he says, you wouldn't like me when I'm hungry. Uh, and of course, he's you know I'm meant to be angry. Yeah, and those two words are definitely similar in Portuguese. <laughs> that is the only attempt in the entire film at like a very... Here is a joke, now you must laugh. And that that did stand out to me. If the words for hungry and angry are also similar in Portuguese, I will call it a brilliant joke. Okay. If they're not similar in Portuguese, it's lazy. Right, so the the film as a whole is is grounded. You know, it's essentially a chase movie. Yeah, uh, it's well acted for the well acted for the most part. There's very much like a King Kong dynamic going on with with Bruce Banner when he's the Hulk and, and Betty Ross, who is his love oh, interest. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She's the she's the damsel that tames him. I do think Edward Norton is is very good. He he isn't he he's not quite Mark Ruffalo in that he is he's much darker. Whereas Mark Ruffalo is Bruce Banner is like a a happy-go-lucky kind of guy. A bit of a goofer. Uh, The William Hurt's character, General Thaddeus Ross, who turns up in Civil War... The his his motives change throughout the film and it's it's bizarre <laughs> yeah. in that from one moment he goes to like wanting to absolutely incinerate this guy to in the final act being like, you know what? Actually I think you're I think you're one of us. I th- yeah, you know what? Just go and fight the bad guy for us. Yeah, yeah, it's and the buddy. There is just one scene I'm gonna draw attention to. It's one of the most bizarre editing slash editorial choices I have ever ever seen in a film right this is a sequence where the hulk is running away from a helicopter in right. broad daylight the sun is out yeah. blue skies yeah and uh, he manages to throw something at the helicopter the helicopter uh, starts spiraling to the ground massive fireball explosions everywhere and as the smoke begins to rise it is nighttime ah. and the rain is falling and and that's and that's the end of the scene oh. and in the space of a, a helicopter crashing we have now transported several hours down the line and then the in a later scene they show like news footage of of this helicopter crash and it's in broad daylight again hmm. and for the life of me Curious. i can't understand why that was the decision that was made i mean yeah. it's great we can see it it's we can see the action nice and clear because the sun is out and then just as this helicopter crashes suddenly it's nighttime and it's raining yeah i'll have it's to go catch that on the old youtube totally unexplainable anyway there is one woman in the entire film <laughs> and that is Liv tyler Wait, is his mother not in it at all not at all. Even oh no, it's just his dad at the base. Literally, literally, it's just Liv Tyler. She is the only woman in the movie, and uh, I must say, I did enjoy it more than say Thor and also Captain America. Ooh. But it's still not great. I'm ne- I don't think I don't think I'd watch it again. Ooh, I wonder if that's a sacrilegious view to have that the Incredible <laughs> Hulk is better than any of the new Marvels. It's it's not any no, it's not any of the new ones. It's it's. It's better than those like standalone well, origins. So I mean, like any one or two. It's certainly better than Thor, and it's I'd say yeah. it's certainly on a, on a par. I've never really thought what the general opinion is on that. I would agree. I I can I can watch the Incredible Hulk and enjoy it just because it is it kind of toes the line between being good and gritty and being so bad it's good and gritty. Right, exactly. And the reason is, and I was reading about this. Edward Norton basically saw the Dark Knight and said, "Right, let's try and make Hulk like that." All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he and the director gave Marvel a hundred and thirty-five minute. Cut Cut, and Marvel said no. Ooh. Here is 107 minutes instead, and Norton decided not to promote the film 
because you wanted. I would like to see the Norton version. Right. So, so that to me is is why I liked it because they were clearly doing something different. As I said at the start, it's the most unMarvel Marvel movie I think of yeah, all twenty three. That's what we want. That's what we want. We want things that are feel different. Exactly. It's different. It's different. It very much feels like. They've gone for that kind of darker, grittier, even like little things like shots of overhead shots of the British, uh, the Brazilian favelas, which is going for like a city of God vibe. And whilst it's not really working, I can I can at least appreciate the effort. Yeah. The other thing I can appreciate from it is that they didn't try to hide the fact it was a comic book film. And in fact, they chose they chose the fact that it was to inform some of the ways they shot the film. Right. To inform some of the ways they framed it with like several shots being in a comic book panel all at once and i think it worked for me i like it when people when the the people who are adapting a thing try and mix their adaption in with the original kind of framing and material yep. um so like that, that gets points for me and I, I wish more comic book films did it where they tried to uh, have more stylized views and versions of films rather than just trying to make okay. a film that looks like a film. In 30 seconds, I've also read a book. It is Chris Jericho Undisputed. Uh, Chris Jericho being the WWE wrestler and also He's a rock star frontman of Fozzy. Let me just say, it's about 400 pages long. I would only ever read it if you are actually a wrestling fan. And even though I am a wrestling fan, it is just mildly amusing and it feels like it's written by like a 20-something-year-old who's trying to be funny. For example, here's a line. This was going to be Mission Impossible, and I'm not talking Tom Cruise. But you are. But You are talking Tom Cruise. No, but he's... It's it's lines like that. It's just like yeah. the cheesy rubbish. I reckon that's the kind of line you find in Boris Johnson's novel. Even little things like anytime he writes a vaguely interesting word, he comments on it in brackets, immediately afterwards. For example... Oh, no. It's like what you do with my big words. Exactly. It was. Here's an example. I was flabbergasted. And then in brackets, that's cookie, when he told me why he called me. So anytime oh. he uses like a big word, he reflects on that in brackets and it just becomes infuriating. <laughs> it's an interesting collection of stories, but ultimately I was underwhelmed. Let's go on to the yeah. final review of the week. This is Moneyball. I've seen it before. It's the film. Oh, Moneyball with, is so good. I know. It's Brad Pitt, Jonah Hill, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and a young Chris Pat. Young and fat <laughs> young Chris, Chris Pratt. Pat. Chris Pat. Chris Frat. Fat a young frat. Crisp Pat. <laughs> young Crispy Pat. And uh, yeah, it's the baseball film about actually how this tiny little team, the Oakland A's, managed to do very, very well. And it's it's great. Because of statistics. Because of statistics. Yeah, Brad Pitt is phenomenal. Uh, the story's drip-fed. It's exposition, not by brute force. It's subtle humour. For example, in this film, I laughed more in Moneyball than I have in any any of these Marvel films I've watched so far. Yeah. Because... Yeah. It's actually funny. They're not trying to... It's just clever. Yeah, they're not trying to, like, get a laugh-out-loud response. They're just saying something because they know it's funny. Anyway. Yeah, it's humour rather than gags. It's a great story, well told. It's acted supremely. The only things I would say is that Robin Wright and Philip Seymour Hoffman are massively underutilised. Robin Wright, yes. I think, gets two scenes, and she is also the only woman in the film. Ah, yeah, So... Yeah. That not so good, but the film as a whole. If you've if you've never seen Moneyball, it is very entertaining. I do like it a lot. Yeah, yeah. I was not ready for how good that was. Oh yeah, it's it's brilliant. And so I believe it's on Netflix. If you are short of anything to watch, excellent. Okay, James, this has been a mammoth session. I will leave you to it. I'm gonna have more beer. It's been a mammothon. <laughs> yes, a mammothon. 
And uh, I will see you and all you lovely people who are listening still, if you are still listening, next week. Yeah, you too, JK. Come back. We'll talk about you next time. Indeed. Time to get the claws out. (laughs) Okay. Bye, James. Hey, bye. And goodbye, listeners. Love you.